0: Emissaries of Violence, on the Metaphysics of Action Cinema. One. Human beings can be divided into those who seek violence and those who escape from violence. And the group of escapees from violence can be subdivided again into people of our times and people trying to escape from the times we live in. People who have managed simultaneously to escape from violence and the times would be somewhere, just not here, hiding in the stillness in the country, hoping that the rest of the world gets some benefit from their distance to the times and to violence. When they fail to escape from the times, some of the escapees revert back into a very special kind of contemporary people. Intellectuals. Intellectual types in our times are individuals who have failed in a series of escape attempts from the times and the world, with the result that they begin to reflect publicly on what it means to be born into this place and time, and to stop denying their own role in the world's important issues. I have returned from Arcady. This could be the password of the failed or returned escapee from the times. Anybody who comes back from somewhere else, whether an imaginary or a real place, will see immediately that everyday life here consists of becoming an accomplice and consumer of incessant agitation and information about violence. In other words, they realise that there are continuing reasons to escape, even if their belief in possibilities of escape is exhausted. What is the first thing we notice when we get back from somewhere else, from salvation, from vacation? Above all, that the people who are escaping from violence are surrounded by groups looking for violence, groups composed of perpetrators and informers who make it increasingly impossible to flee to non-violent spaces. Information on violence generally follows a disgraceful or contradictory pattern. We go about our normal or pseudo-normal business, while at the same time bombs explode in car parks in New York. City districts are on fire in Bombay. Rampaging Serb soldiers flatten villages and triumphantly seek eye contact with captive women abandoned to rape, while. German petrol bombers set fire to houses and people, and children throughout the West get ecstatic about electronic extermination games. Perhaps it is better not to talk immediately about such things, like a psychologist or political scientist who has always understood them, but rather from the perspective of the failed world escapist, who begins without a theory, but feels a kind of shared excitement instead talk about violence, or rather, to talk out of its sphere, without falsely objectifying the issue, I think it's advisable to explode the illusion of distance right from the beginning. The illusion that situates us in a pacified zone, and situates the violence across the border. Instead, I suggest an exercise in spherical thought, in which sphere sphere, is translated in the literal Greek sense of the word as ball. Let us explore this topic in the style of meditation with balls. Considerations on violence could begin with the memory of the hyperball that we can describe here without further ado as, capital B, being. Existence would mean always being in a sphere, or being incorporated by a sphere. My proposition is that What we usually describe as violence without thinking and in relation to individual cases has a spherical format by nature, or in its form of dissemination. When it exists, then it does so in the mode of being everywhere, or in other words, in elementary or mediated dissemination. One cannot stand facing the sphere like a panel picture, despite what Lucretius says in this didactic poem. Tis sweet when down the mighty main the winds roll up its waste of waters from the land to watch another's laboring anguish far. Not that we joyously delight that man should thus be smitten, but because tis sweet to mark what evils we ourselves be spared. Tis sweet again to view the mighty strife of armies embattled yonder o'er the plains. In a spherical interpretation of violence, Lucretius' role as a spectator falls within the circle of violence, because the theatre of violence is only a local projection inside the sphere that has no outside. To stand in the interior of the sphere of violence at a spot from where the violent actions appear before one's eyes like scenes still still means remaining shut inside the sphere. If we wanted to express this relationship as a formula, we would say, being in the world means being subject to the might of, with the latter transcending all individual cases, being subject to the might of kidnappers, the might of bankers, the might of a jealous partner, or whatever else could attack you on all sides, ending in God's mighty hand in whose grip we are told some people feel better than in any other impenetrable shell. Let us listen once again, calmly if possible to the potentially panic-inducing formula. Being in the world means being subject to power. And think about the impact of this sentence. As I shall show, there is a long story behind its exaggerated tone. I want to complete this exaggerated theorem with an exaggerated story to set the proper tone for relaxing into less extreme observations. Readers of James Clavell's epic about Japan, Shogun, will remember a terribly cruel episode at the beginning of the novel. Shortly after Captain Blackthorn's ship lands on the Japanese coast, one of the twelve sailors is chosen by a straw pole to substitute for the entire crew, and to be tortured and executed by the samurai of the territorial lord, Yabu. A man named Vink draws the lot, but in the scrum with Yabu's thugs, another sailor, named Paitezoon is picked out and taken away for the horrific execution. He is the man who will undergo the long, torturous death, an apocalyptic beginning to Japanese-European relations. Starting at sunset, Paitezoon is seethed at medium temperature in a huge iron cauldron used by fishermen in winter to boil whale oil and fish glue. The torturer has special orders to draw out the procedure. From a distance, Lord Yabu listened to the screams of the sailor in the boiling water all night long before sending a samurai named Omi to report to him on the condition of the man in the cauldron. The screams began when the moon was high. Yabu was kneeling in the inner garden of Omi's house, motionless. He watched the moonlight in the blossom tree, the branches jet against the lighter sky. The clustered blooms now barely tinted. A petal spiralled, and he thought. Beauty is not less for falling in the breeze. You looked into the barbarian's eyes. Yes, Yabu-sama. Omi was kneeling now behind the daimyo, ten paces away. Yabu had remained immobile. Moonlight shadowed his kimono and made a phallus of his sword handle. What did you see? Madness. The essence of madness. I've never seen eyes like that. And limitless terror. Three petals fell gently. Make up a poem about him. Omi tried to force his brain to work. Then, wishing he were more adequate, he said, His eyes were just the end of hell. All pain. Articulate. Shrieks came wafting up fainter now, the distance seeming to make their cut more cruel. Yabu said after a moment, If you allow their chill to reach, you become one with them, into that great, deep, inarticular. Well, now we understand. Piterzone had chanced upon a mystic who made a game out of merging with the screaming man in the cauldron. At a depth that lies beyond boiled seamen and meditating feudal lords. What interests us is that, in the case of the seaman, we could hardly be persuaded to do what social psychologists call taking the role of the other, unless we could find a way to ease conditions in the cauldron to such an extent that we could imagine taking the place of the person inside. If, as we are sometimes told, being a human being a member of the human species involves being required to put ourselves in somebody else's place. Looking at Paitazone's quandary, we can only discern a conditional form of humanity. We could call it the law of limited solidarity. First of all, we would lower the temperature of the vessel to lukewarm, like the temperature of the Mediterranean Sea at the end of July. Then we would realise that the sides of the cauldron are an unreasonable obstruction to our view. We would remove them, or expand them to the point where they resemble a normal horizon in flat countryside. Every sign of actual danger to body and life would be eliminated. Nobody would be boiled, nobody shut in, and any one of us could then take Paerezoon's place without protest, and if the scene developed into something that ended with death at some point, we have ways and means to keep calm as long as necessary. Although we are vaguely death candidates, We define ourselves by carefree concern and don't let any stress about the end interrupt the open-ended moment. If one can put it like this, we unite with the other person in a middle zone where he or she faces as little threat from terrible things as we do here and now. During our stay in the entertaining world cauldron, we have the company of relaxed paita who conduct conversation and business with each other and are ultimately as indifferent to each other as Lord Yabu and the Seaman would have been if their paths had never crossed. In other words, we are members of a liberal democracy. (laughs) I love the way Sloterdijk puts the barb in. (laughs) It is now clear what i meant earlier when i talked about loosening up overwrought statements if we say that being in the world essentially means being subject to the power of something this should not apply in the radical sense of pyshe's own story it is our responsibility to dissolve the panic motif to the extent that we can see ourselves in the world like a bather in the sea in july at a place from where we can call out to our girlfriend or boyfriend and say i can still stand at this point Everybody knows that the sea can change, too, and if it did, it would be fatal to stay there. If we are cheerfully in the midst of things, soluble in the sea like water in the middle of water, it is only because while we are in the state of being in there, we have no reason to think about how we are going to get out. If we apply this to the fluid of violence in which we are dissolved, it tells us that we may well enjoy specific states of being inside something, the summary state and the bourgeois state, whereas if we found ourselves in the middle of some other states, we would start panicking and looking for a way out. In what follows, I shall examine the question of the way humans who dissolve in violence behave when they have to get out of the terrible bath. Perhaps all of history is only the history of solutions to violence.